All right. Any kids in the room? Any kiddos in the room? Kids? Yeah, where you at? A few of you. Some of you raising your hand. You're way too old to be a kid. Kids, any guys going to go swimming this summer? Anybody going to go swimming? Yeah? Any of you, uh, like there was like one of you, like I think I did maybe. So you like went to a swimming pool. Anybody, anybody brave enough and you were able to like swim, parents help you like get in the deep end, you're in an area like over your head, that happened ever? Nobody, a few of you? Okay. R- real quick question as a kid, think through this. Like what do you do in a swimming pool? Like what, are the, what do you do? You, 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 yeah, you swim, you swim. Uh, like sometimes you play games, you know, like Marco... Yes! Way to go! I was wondering if that would work. I'm so excited. That made my whole day. That made my whole day. Also, kids, the fact that you didn't just scream polo as loud as you want is a missed opportunity. Um, But yeah, when you're in a pool, you swim. You swim. It's what you do. Here's a question. When you are in Christ, when you find life in Jesus, what do you do? I mean, what do you do? So, kids, I'm so excited that your, your parents have you in the gathering. I know and I recognize sometimes, sometimes it's just hard. It's work. It's effort to pay attention, to focus. It's not the thing that would be the most entertaining. It's not the thing that just appeals to you. That will never go away. It, 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 it just won't. You will always be called to effort and to work. And the very fact that your parents have you in this room is to point you to something that is worth that effort. And so I'm glad that you're here. I want to kind of give you this pool analogy because as we walk through this, this is going to be one of those mornings we're going to have to work a little bit. We're going to cover a lot. And as we do, there's honestly more to cover than we're going to be able to finish in this section, but there are a lot of seeds that I want to plant for us as we go through our study of Second Peter. And we're not going to be able to harvest all those seeds today. And so this is just a reminder. This will make more sense if you've read Second Peter. And so Mike, the last couple of weeks, has challenged you, if you haven't already, it's just three chapters. Sit down, read through those first three chapters of 2 Peter in one setting. Just read it. Won't take that long. You can do it in 15 minutes. So this afternoon, if you haven't read 2 Peter, jump in and read. So 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours, By the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus, our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Last week, our big truth, God has given us everything needed for life and godliness. That is a powerful thing. 
God has given us everything needed for life and godliness. He has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Now watch, not everything we want. Everything we need. Not everything we want in our flesh, but everything we need for faithfulness. And he did so through Jesus who made himself known to his followers and called, set us apart to himself. In all his holiness, in all his glory, in all his excellence. And now, abiding in him, what we just sang, abiding in him through the knowledge of him, we receive grace, gifts we do not deserve. We receive peace, a rest, a right standing, a secure standing that is beyond anything we could accomplish within ourselves. We were once enemies of God opposition to the supreme creator and now we rest in him we are at peace before him god has given us everything needed for a life or for life and godliness and so this week verse 5 for this very reason make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge And knowledge was self-control, and self-control was steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith. That's our big truth. Jesus' followers strive to feed their faith. Jesus' followers strive to feed their faith. Now, any of you guys like lists? You guys, I like lists. I'm kind of drawn to them. And so here's what happens oftentimes, I think, when we read this section. We immediately go to the list. It's not a comprehensive list, by the way. Uh, We know that from other places in Scripture. So it's not like a step-by-step, these are the things you have to do and these are all the things that you do. This is examples of pathways to, it's a list of application. But I'm immediately drawn to it because it's in a list and I like lists. But that list is there for a contextual reason. It fits a purpose, it fits a prescribed charge, and that is that we are called, set apart, to make every effort to supplement our faith. Jesus' followers strive to feed their faith. And so we're going to spend the majority of our time on that principal concept, that Jesus' followers strive to feed their faith. So let's break it down, verse 5, for this very reason God has granted to us all that is needed to live godly, that is to live like Christ, through Christ, not because of who we are, right, but because of who he is. So in Christ we are granted great and precious promises, therefore we identify with him. We belong to him. We abide in him. 
We identify with him in the future revealed kingdom to come. And we identify with him in this life right now. We abide. We are positioned in him. And you're going to see a very similar opening in 2 Peter than we saw in 1 Peter. Remember in 1 Peter, we just read it, there is a living hope that is certain and trusted. And if you go back and you read that first chapter of 1 Peter, you're going to see some real just distinctive parallels. Peter begins with the implications of the grace of God in the elect exile. And here in 2 Peter, it's to those who have obtained faith. Peter begins with grace. God has done a work in your life. He has made himself known to you through his son Jesus. And you who were once separated from him, dead in your sin, you have obtained life. Through faith in Jesus. Man, that's a powerful beginning. It is the anchor. And that life that we have in him is something that can never be stripped from us. Because it is him who gives it and it is him who holds it. The grace of God at work in our life. And so there's the same foundation in both. You are identified with Jesus. You abide. Jesus has made himself known to you. The glory and excellence of his righteousness is declared on you. He's declared you righteous through Jesus. It's an incredible thought. And so at that point, 1 Peter and 2 Peter begin to somewhat diverge into different focuses. But they both go back to the grace of God at work in our salvation and leads us to the grace of God at work in our present circumstance in life, in our sanctification. See, in 1 Peter, he says, prepare your minds for action. It's time to go to work. Your life has been changed. You have a purpose. You have been called or set apart for this. And here in 2 Peter, he's saying, grow or feed your faith. You've been called to this. You've been set apart to it. The very understanding of who God is has been made known to you. And you have obtained a faith. And so feed that faith. Powerful. And so for this very reason, Peter says, because you have obtained such a faith, make every effort to supplement your faith. You say, what are you getting at? Here's one big idea that kind of frames it really well for us. Jesus' followers have obtained a faith craving to be fed. Craving to be fed. If Jesus' followers strive to feed their faith, it is because they have obtained a faith craving to be fed. See, since The Jesus follower has obtained saving faith in Jesus. In verse 3, been called by Jesus to his own glory and excellence. Our saving faith craves Christ-likeness. Let me say it this way. Some of you studied enough, you'll know the words and it'll make sense. Our justification 
craves sanctification. What's that mean, kids? That means when you place saving faith in Jesus, God declares you righteous through faith in him. It's a declaration. But you still have sin. That declaration of your righteousness, your right standing before God, big fancy word for that just means justification. You've been declared right. But what happens after that is the same grace of God that declares you righteous, that saves you, begins a work in you to transform you into what you have been declared to be, into the image of Christ. Now, what is our response as this happens? Well, at saving faith, there is a repentance, a dying to self, and a recognize that I have no hope, no effort, no righteousness, nothing is going to add to my standing before God. But God loved me so much that he gave his only begotten son, who paid the penalty for my sin with his death on a cross, and that through faith in him, his work, his righteousness is granted to me. And so I recognize death to self and life in full in Jesus. He is everything to me. That's what saving faith looks like. And so if I experience the saving grace of God in my life, if I obtain a faith that acknowledges the revelation of God and how great he is in my life, that same faith ignites a craving in me to be conformed into life. It has to. It has to. We, we acknowledge death to self, life in Jesus. And so Peter says, make every effort. It's a prescriptive call to action. It means to do. Do. Make every effort. And you know what I wish, man? I wish there were some disclaimers in here. I wish there were, make every effort unless you're really busy. Or works hard. Or you have kids and they're crazy. You, you, got, you got burdens. Or maybe it's by your personality. But the truth is, no matter how you want to look at it, there are no disclaimers. There's no unless you're busy or tired or have kids or elderly parents or a job that is taxing or you don't like to read, so I can't really read the Bible. Or maybe it's your personality. You're an introvert or an extrovert. It doesn't matter. There are no exceptions. It's just make every effort. And not only is there not an exception, but the emphasis of the text means to do whatever it takes. Pay the expense. The NASB translates it, apply all diligence. Not just some, all diligence to feed this faith. You're in the pool. Swim. It's all around you. Swim. Everything you need for grace and peace is yours. Make every effort to supplement your faith. Now the word supplement here, the, the general meaning is to nourish or to grow. This morning we're using the word feed, right? 
You can kind of see that general meaning in some other places it's connected to in Scripture. Colossians 2.19, your body is nourished, there's the word, uh, to grow. 2 Corinthians 9.10, seed is supplied, there's the word, uh, to the sower, bread for food. Again, the nourishment, the feed idea. But it's one of those words, it's a great word study. If you, just, if you really like language and you want to get into your nerd zone, go back and study this word. It's original goes back to uh, Greek plays. And remember, like, think about ancient history, the Greeks. Remember they had the big Colosseum, like all that cool stuff and big plays and theaters. And so these plays would have these choruses, these massive amounts of people that were secondary there to what's happening in the play. And they sing, that, but they had these massive outfits. And think about it back in the day. It was really expensive to make and obtain all those outfits. And so what they did is they got a sponsor. And someone would sponsor the choir. And they would get them all of their outfits and supply all that they needed for the play. And it was a really kind of a prestigious role. It was something that like, hey, that guy, he's sponsoring the choir. They met the expense. They did what was needed to supply the need. They took on the expense themselves. The title given to that person is the same word here for supplement. Take on the responsibility. Take on the expense. Do what must be done to supply your faith. So the idea isn't, watch, simply wait for your faith to grow. That's what I want you to catch. As if you passively wait for your faith just to grow. See, that's a prevalent lie. It's very prevalent, and many are deceived by it. See, there's a perversion of the doctrine of grace within our culture that diminishes one's efforts toward Christ-like living to a celebratory reaction after something just happens to you. The implication is that your pursuit of Christ's likeness shouldn't feel like work. Your faithful obedience should not feel like diligence. In other words, you should just want to do it, and then you'll do it. And you're waiting for the want before the pursuit. And see, when we're deceived, we excuse ourselves and we wait to feel like pursuing growth. We wait to feel like feeding our faith. We have a dog. It is my daughter's responsibility to feed the dog. If Lena waited to feed the dog until she felt like it, we would have a dead dog. The problem with that lie, the problem with the deception, church, listen, growing in Christ's likeness according to scripture, is taking up your cross, dying to self, and finding life in Jesus. And in our flesh, we will not want to do that. That's not comfortable. That's not fun. That's suffering. That's hard. And the only way we will choose to do so is because of the grace of our living hope. 
because of our knowledge of God, because of our faith obtained. You, you need an example for that? Look to Jesus. Jesus did not want to endure the cross. He did not want to endure the suffering of the cross. He bled in anxiety over it. And yet, he rejoiced in the will of the Father. See, there is a clear call to action to make every effort to feed your faith. To take on the cost. To do whatever you can to grow the faith that you have obtained. It is absolutely 100% the work of grace and God in your life. But how can you proclaim it and not long for it? And so Peter's going to give us a list of ways to feed our faith. But again, first, I want to make sure you understand what's happening. So two more things. We're going to spend some time here and we'll get to the list. Whatever we don't get, we'll come back to again. Start there next week. First, Grace and effort, even every effort, are not at odds. Grace and effort, even every effort, are not at odds. Peter, inspired by the Holy Spirit, says God in his power has granted, he has granted, our obtained faith by the righteousness of Jesus, not 99% Jesus, 1% you. Fully in Jesus by the grace of God. Then Peter comes back a few verses later, same guy, same spirit, and says, make every effort. Because you've obtained this faith, because you are in Christ Jesus, make every effort to supplement, to grow, or to feed your faith. There's a worldview that's around us that devalues moral excellence. And it causes us to lower or to remove markers of growth and maturity. And that's such a dangerous thing as that seeps into the mind of the church. Because when this worldview is applied to the Christian life, and we do, we are bent to celebrate the grace of our position and justification but we are bent to dismiss the grace of God in our pursuit, our sanctification. Schreiner in the New American Commentary here in Second Peter, it's one of the commentaries we hold out for you guys as you're studying. It's a good one. He says this about that. It would be a serious mistake to dismiss the call to godly living as legalism or moralism. The exhortation to holiness is grounded in God's work of salvation as it has been accomplished in Jesus Christ. As is typical in the New Testament, grace precedes demand. The priority of grace, however, does not cancel out our strenuous strenuous effort. Believers are to make every effort or apply all diligence in carrying out Peter's command. A godly character does not emerge from passivity. Church, listen, what's the point? Let it be known to you. Let it be known to me. It is not sound doctrine. It is not the Spirit of God that excuses you 
from Christ-likeness. It is the New Testament and the very grace of God at work in our life that proclaims, make every effort to grow into what you have been declared to be. The purpose, the calling that has been given to you in a faith obtained by grace. And so at Tri-Cities, we aim to grow in our faith. We aim to practice our faith with diligence. Think about things we, we talk about so often. We hold up things like discipleship, like the family discipleship plan. I know you're tired of hearing about it. And every time we say it, what do we say? We don't care if you use our plan, but you need to have a plan. Like if you're using something else, great. If it's solid, we, we celebrate it with you. Why? Because there's diligent discipleship happening in your home. That's what we're about. That's what we're called to equip you to. But if you don't have something, let us help you get started. You say, what's the emphasis there? The diligent plan to disciple your kids. You say, well, I don't really like it when you talk about that because it makes me feel bad. Listen, if you don't have a diligent plan, feel bad. Be convicted. It's okay to feel bad at times. But let that drive you not to beat yourself up, but to that day try to make every effort you can to grow your faith. We've got these discipleship blueprint stuff. All this stuff downstairs is because we know we've been set apart to make disciples of others. And yet when we have conversations like, well, I don't really know how and how would I get started? And so we put resources and groups and all kinds of things away around how to help you get involved in that, how to help you try. Do you have to use our stuff? No. But if you're not making disciples, I mean intentionally, strategically, pouring out your life to help others grow in the faith they've obtained, we want to help you. We want to help you. We talk about the gathering and coming together on a Sunday morning and prioritizing this time for the exaltation of God through the proclamation of his word. Talk about making Jesus known and proclaiming his excellencies. And we say things like just start with a few names. And why are you saying this? Because I don't want you to get it confused. We don't care about our programs. We care about your diligence. We care about your growth. We want to be a church that makes every effort that is so compelled by the faith that we have obtained, the life in Jesus, that all diligence is applied to the pursuit of knowledge in him that would transform our lives and the lives of those that are around us. Say, the effort's messy, it's costly. I think of the Proverbs, Proverbs 14, 4, it says, where there are no oxen, the manger is clean, but the abundant crop comes by the strength of the oxen. So what's that mean? If you're gonna <laughs> if you're gonna have a harvest, you need ox. If you're gonna have ox, there's gonna be poop in the barn. And somebody has to clean that up. You don't want poop in the barn, great, you don't have any ox, but then you don't have any food. It's work, it's messy, it's effort. 
And so we're tempted to dismiss our calling to feed our faith because we don't want to get in that mess. We don't want to get in that effort. We want to leave our barn clean. And that leaves us open to the danger of being led astray by false teachers. That's why Peter's talking about it. The middle section of the letter to, uh, here in 2 Peter is really going to address these false teachers. And these aren't just, I've been saying this, these aren't just, just these shadowy figured people far away from your life that you only see on TV or that you just hear about. No, they, they are in your circles. They're in our church. Their words are destructive, but beware, they won't feel destructive. They'll sound like what you want to hear. They'll say things just like, you know, just let go and let God. It's that idea. You, you don't have to worry about it. Just chill. Does that sound like what Peter's saying to you? Does that sound like what we're reading in our New Testament and all the charges to make every effort. See, God described the false teacher in Jeremiah 8:11 as those who heal the wounds of my people lightly, saying, peace, peace, where there is no peace. Notice there's healing, but it's shallow, it's not real. Let me try to give you an example of this I've been trying to frame in my mind. I'll give you just two really quick. I think of the rich young ruler in the New Testament because so much of us think of that and we kind of were bent to think Jesus was harsh. You remember he's doing all these things and Jesus looks at him and says, sell everything you have and follow me. And the man walks away in sorrow and in sadness. That's all we know about the story. But just for a minute, I want you to imagine if somebody sticks their arm around him and says, now listen, you don't really have to sell everything you own. That's not a big deal. Let, let, let me help you out. We'll connect and we just pull you in. See, watch, Jesus did the most loving thing for that man. He exposed the disconnect of his faith. He exposed that he really, truly didn't have saving faith. That he didn't believe Jesus is the son of God worth everything that he was still trying to hold on to his own life and his own stuff. What a gift of grace to have such clarity, to have it exposed. So what's the false teacher do? Puts his arm around, says, it's not that bad, you've got peace, and assures them that he's okay, and he is clearly not okay. You see examples like that. You see, for example, the disciples, when Jesus tells them to eat my flesh and drink my blood, many of them leave in that moment. They turn back. They say, this is hard. And Jesus doesn't go back, well, you don't understand. You don't really have to do that. I've often thought about that. Why wouldn't Jesus say, you don't really have to. This is what it means. No, he lets them leave. You know why? Because if you believe he's God, you just say, yes, sir. It doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter what it costs. If he is who he reveals himself to be, with confusion and fear and trembling, you say yes. And so you say, what's that have to do with Peter? Peter's there. He's connected to this. And at one point, Jesus says 
to Peter, well, are you going to leave too? Listen to Peter's response. Lord, where would I go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed, and we have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. You want to see it a different way? Same person? Think of Peter. Remember Peter? Mark chapter 8, Jesus tells the disciples, Peter, hey, I'm going to suffer and I'm going to die. Peter, in a cultural moment of affirmation, rebukes Jesus. You're Jesus. You're not going to die. Do you remember Jesus' response? Get behind me, Satan. That wasn't gentle. This false teaching and the destructive temptation that it brought, Jesus was having none of it. Get behind me, Satan, he said. But listen to the reason Jesus gives in 833. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Let me give us a clear rebuke for you and for me when we cynically dismiss the diligence of our brothers and sisters aimed to help us grow in our own diligence and make every effort. In other words, those who cynically dismiss their diligence to excuse the lack of diligence in their life, woe to us. Woe to you. You are driven by your flesh. You are not driven by the grace and knowledge of God that makes every effort to supplement your faith. One more quick qualifier before we jump into our list. Normal is a cruel deceiver. If you live on... You know, if everybody around you lives on $2 million a year and you live on $200,000, you'll think you're poor. See, there is a danger in defining every effort to supplement your faith based on the normal around you. Look to the scriptures. The diligence of your culture and of your setting is not your standard. Your diligence will be measured by God. It is set by the very word of God. Your normal isn't the absolute. Social media has made us think that all of our opinions matter, right? I mean, I'll just tell you, as a pastor, I've been in ministry for 25 years. There's just a shift. I'm just going to keep it real for one illustration. 20, 25 years ago, there were people who said, yeah, I'm not going to do that. And they just say, I'm just not going to do that. And they resist it. You have people now in conversations in pursuit of their spiritual formation or growth, they haven't read their Bible in their life. They haven't read their Bible in a year. They don't study. They don't pursue. And then what happens is a friend comes along and wants to help them grow. And that friend's been in the Word. They've been studying. They're pursuing. There is markers, biblical markers of maturity and growth in their life. That individual wants to look back and argue that they know what they need for their spiritual growth and formation. 
I'm just going to ask this real simple question. On what authority? And the only answer to that is your own. See, there is an absolute in the word of God that makes known to us what we are called and set apart to be. And it calls us to every effort. It's going to take some time, but I want to share this with you as, just as one of your pastors. As we were reading through 1 Peter and my devotion in my journal, I wrote this down. I was challenged. To be honest with you, I'm just tired. You ever tired? I'm just tired. And it's my journal, and it's a little selfish, <laughs> so bear with me in the self-centeredness of it, okay? I am tempted to sin and compromise by the compromise of those around me. My role as a pastor does not spare me. When the church normalizes personal preferences above the edification of the body, it tempts me. To think I'm entitled to do the same. When I experience my brothers and sisters, especially those around me in my close circle or other leaders normalizing their prioritization of personal above church edification, it tempts me to believe such thinking and action is balanced. After all, it isn't communicated as selfish or idol worship or lazy or undisciplined or even ignorant. Instead, it is communicated as family time or self-care or provision or freedom or health or balance. It sounds so good with shallow thought, normalized by those around me, and I often find myself in my flesh wanting it to be true. And apart from the examples and teaching of Scripture, I would be so inclined to see my time and pursuits in these terms. But through scripture, I know it is not so. I know my life is not my own. My gifts are for the edification of the body, organized and strategically dispersed through the local church. So church, if you love me, if you want to edify me, not lead me into temptation. Stop normalizing the prioritization of your personal experience above your edification of the church. Don't be a church that makes sacrificial edification seem burdensome or extreme and unhealthy. Let's be a church that sets a convicting example in your sacrificial investment together to build one another up that spurs on and sets our gaze forward that reminds me that I belong to something bigger than myself that isn't worth comparing to my felt losses today. I've been praying that for about a month, that I would lead in that and that we might be a church that makes every effort to feed our faith and therefore the faith of others. May it be so pronounced in our church that it stands out as a countercultural conviction that forces worship and attention back to the God who is worthy. 
for he is worthy. As we come back next week, we'll jump into that list. See, we didn't even get started with him. He's going to give examples of how. How do you feed this faith? But in our day, in our setting, we need to be reminded. We have been called by God, set apart by a faith obtained to make every effort to supplement our faith. Why? Because we add to our righteousness in doing so? Of course not. That's heretical. But because he is worthy of the sacrifice of our life, and because through the faith obtained, we realize that there is nothing more than shallowness apart from him. But in him, he has given us life, and life more abundantly. So as the team comes, I'm just going to challenge you to take just a minute and just pray with me. Pray that the Lord would multiply the knowledge of God, your view of him in yourself, that you might leave with a deeper understanding of his worth and his presence, his supremacy, and that it might compel you that you're in the pool. So swim. That's what you do. You're in Jesus. You have life. You have a living hope. And so we may we be a church that is not constantly distracted. Instead, may we be a church that makes every effort, that sees our life as a living sacrifice of worship. In your own context, in your own circumstance, I'm just going to give you a minute to just respond to the Lord in that thought. Would you pray with me? Father, you are worthy of our life because you are life. And there is no life apart from you. Father, thank you for the gift of salvation. Thank you for our faith obtained in Jesus. It is your work and we praise you. Thank you for our sanctification. Thank you that you are growing us into what you have declared us to be. Thank you for the grace at work in our life that is feeding our faith. We praise you for it. Father, I pray that you grow our knowledge of you. Father, not just our head knowledge, but our conviction of who you are that saturates our life. that compels us to feed our faith, that secures our footing in your truth and the reality of our salvation to come, that sets our gaze forward and does not get us distracted in the circumstances of the day that leaves us susceptible to false teaching. 
Father, you have given us everything, everything we need for a life of godliness, for Christ's likeness. And so as your church, we long for it. And we praise you for the gift of grace in it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.